Okay, so how are you? I'm doing really well. Um, this coronavirus stuff is kind of crazy, um, yeah. but I'm really taking advantage of the opportunity to just be at home and like have free time and paint and awesome. listen to music and drink coffee. It's it's going pretty well. How are you? Yeah. Um, I'm good. I, I'm hanging in there. Like my mental health is actually pretty stable right now, so I'm really happy with that and at the same time like I have all this anxious energy from doing nothing like I'm like I should be going somewhere right now I should be doing something and like it's hard for me to not be able to just go out and like walk to Starbucks or like go to Target without having anxiety and like that's something I miss so that part's been a little hard but everything else like I'm just grateful to be safe and healthy and you know stuff like that and you know looking forward to life after the virus goes away, hopefully crossing my fingers. So yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of mentioned this on my little like prequel for our interview, but I first wanted to touch on higher levels of care because I feel like a lot of people don't know what a higher level of care is. Like I was kind of saying earlier, like I throw around the term PHP all the time and people are like, what is PHP? What is IOP? Um, and so I thought we could kind of, if you want to share what outpatient and IOP is, and I'll do PHP and residential, if you're cool with that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so for me, or for anybody, outpatient looks like, um, just like what most people talk about when they say, I'm going to therapy. It looks like therapy and a dietitian, if you are dealing with an eating disorder once or twice a week, um, then intensive outpatient or IOP is programming in a, at a treatment facility for about nine hours a week, which usually is split up into three days. Um, and you're also seeing a therapist and a dietitian about once a week. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going off that. So PHP is partial hospitalization program. And that is basically, it's usually five to seven days a week for six to eight hours a day at a treatment facility. Um, it's pretty intensive. If you're there for an eating disorder, you usually have two to, yeah, around, like we had like two meals a day. So usually it's usually breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner. Um, and then residential is one step up from PHP and that is 24 seven care for patients who are, you have to be medically stable to be in residential. Um, and that's for people who are just really struggling and can't be safe at home essentially and need the -the around-the-clock care of nursing staff and therapists, um, counselors, et cetera, nutritionists. And then I kind of wanted to throw this in there too, but hospitalization is similar to residential, but it's 24-7-hour, 24-7 care (laughs) for medically unstable patients. So if your labs are off, um, you're just really, really struggling, that's the place to go for that. Yeah, and hospitalization is sometimes referred to as inpatient mm-hmm. um, for like step up from residential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I know I had some friends who unfortunately were in residential and were just couldn't keep themselves stable and had to move up to inpatient care or hospitalization. So definitely not a fun place, but it's a good place for those who need it. Um, and so now that that's kind of established, I kind of wanted to ask you what why you chose to seek a higher level of care and then I can kind of share what made me kind of seek a higher level of care as well if you're okay with that. Yeah um so I've been in treatment twice and my first time in treatment I started at PHP and the realization that I had 
that encouraged me to go to PHP was I just couldn't, I realized that I couldn't do it by myself anymore. You know, I wasn't yeah. maintaining my health. I couldn't do both and, which means I couldn't do school and do life and do family and take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to go to PHP um, and I was able to kind of get that experience of being in that transitional phase of doing the work in a treatment facility and doing the work outside of a treatment facility, which was really helpful for me. Um, I also, at, when I just PHP, I stepped down to IOP and then I did outpatient. Um, and then my second time in treatment, I actually started at, at the PHP level again because I thought that that would be enough. And then I realized that I needed to seek a higher level of care um, at residential. Um, And what that looked like for me was I realized that I couldn't stop engaging in those self-destructive behaviors outside of treatment, um, outside of daily programming. And so I had to kind of take the reins and say, I, you know, PHP is not enough for me. I do need more help. And it was a really difficult decision, but it was honestly the one that changed my life entirely. Um, I just, I really realized that I needed constant supervision to be successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it seems like you're doing a lot better now, which is amazing. So obviously that difficult decision paid off in the long run, but you're right. It's not an easy decision to make at all to step up to the higher level of care. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, I initially sought out treatment and in August of last year, and I was recommended for the PHP level. And I immediately was like, heck no, I am not doing PHP because it required me to drop most of my classes. And being that academic focused student I am, I was like, heck no, I can't be behind. Like, I've never been behind. And it just, so I was like, you know what, I'll do IOP. I'll make it work. I, I, of course I can stop engaging in these behaviors. Like I'll just have to work harder. I can do it. And I convinced myself for the first of many times that I've convinced myself to make the wrong decision. Um, but I could do it. So I did two days, literally two days of IOP. And then I was like, I had a breakdown. Cause I was like, I can't do this. Like it's too hard. I can't, you know, stop engaging in the self-destructive behaviors outside. So they were like, yeah, that's why we recommended you for PHP. So (laughs) I stepped up to PHP and I was there for about a month. And then I was recommended for a residential. And unfortunately I faced a insurance barrier. My insurance company did not, does does not in general cover um, residential treatment for um, members over the age of 18, unfortunately. So I got a scholarship to go to residential and I went for one week, convinced myself I was fine, left residential and dropped out of PHP and I was on my own for a month. And then, so that was kind of like, I was kind of forced into going to residential, which I think was one of the reasons why I was so ambivalent for treatment. Um, But the second time I actually chose to go to treatment, I really advocated for myself to my parents and you know, described that I needed help. And the second time around was so much more successful because I wanted to be there. I wanted to get better. Um, Again, I was in PHP for around six weeks. Um, 
And honestly, since then, I've been doing so much better. Um, I've been, I'm back in outpatient. I never did IOP. I've been meeting with my dietitian and uh, my therapist. But I think what really drove me into seeking help for the second time was I was like, I can't live like this anymore. Like, this is a horrible way to live. And, you know, I want to eat freely. And I, I like was so irritable and down. And I was like, this is, I'm so unhappy. Like, and I can change this. I have the power to change the situation. So I think, yeah, yeah, that really drove me to it, but it's, you know, it's, we both have similar stories in that we were like, you know, I can't stop engaging in the self-destructive behaviors. So, you know, being the mature, responsible people we are and the, you know, able to, we both were able to seek higher levels of care, but you know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard too. So I want to hold space for the fact that not everyone has access to these higher levels of care and, you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think we're both very lucky to have the opportunity to have, you know, supportive parents who help fund our treatment experiences right. and, you know, provide support communities outside of treatment and have right. friends. Um, I think, but I, I do think the experience of treatment is very important to recover yes. from eating Yeah. Um, so I think the thing I tell people who I know are struggling is do almost whatever it takes to get to treatment if you need it. Bag and bag. Um, Because it really is a lifesaver. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I've had to really step in with some of my friends and encourage them to seek higher levels of care. And sometimes that's just like, maybe you should do IOP or, you know, I have one friend who I was like, you know, you really need to do residential. And it's really hard to be the support person but when you've gone through it and you know how amazing it feels to be recovered or in recovery like yeah. you just it's hard to see why anyone wouldn't want to go through that like get through the process and feel better I think for me because I'm like just you know just get through it like you can do it you can do it but it's also really hard to make that decision yeah I think that's one of those big things about treatment is it always feels like it gets worse before it gets better yeah um, so the actual process of going into treatment can be really hard, honestly, kind of traumatic. Yes, um, absolutely. And it's, it's absolutely exhausting no matter what level of care you're at because just all of a sudden you're transitioning from having all of your life being focused on your, your life and then you take it, you take at least a portion of it, if not all of it, being focused on your mental health, which right. for most people is completely new. Right. Um, so it is, it's by no means easy, but it is by all means worth it. Yeah. And I think another thing was for me, at least the first time I kind of like half-assed treatment. I was like, oh, I'm going to stay in school. So like, I'm going to be in treatment and do school. And I was like, looking back on that, like I was crazy to think that I could, some people can do both. I'm not one of those people who can multicast like that. Mm-hmm. And so the second time I literally was like, I told my professors, I am going to treatment you're going to have to give me a G grade, which is an incomplete. I will make up the work when I get back and left it at that. <laughs> yep. And that was so much better because all I did for six weeks was treatment every single day, seven days a week for six weeks. And I left feeling so much better. Um, so I'm just like grateful for the both of us that again, we have access to the, tr- the level of treatment that we needed. Um, so I want to know more about what your experience was like in PHP and residential. Yeah, so um, so my experience in PHP both times was 
this difficulty of the dichotomy of having time inside a treatment facility and time outside a treatment facility in the same day. I think that's like the resounding note that PHP leaves you on because it is very hard to go from being like, okay, I'm supported all day long and then go home and have minimal support. Um, So PHP is really transitional. It really prepares you for the outside world, which is extremely useful. Um, residential is different because you spend all your time in the treatment milieu and um, it is a 24-7 effort to maintain health which is the same for PHP but it's like you can't distract from it when you're in residential. Um, So residential is just much more intense. Um, The word I used at times was grueling um, but it it if you feel like you cannot maintain stability outside of treatment, then, and you are considering residential, I would encourage you to pursue it because it, it will stabilize you, you know, and that's, if that's what you need, then that's what you need. Um, But PHP, going down to PHP from residential definitely feels like a breath fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you feel, because you do have freedoms taken away from you when you are in residential for your own safety. Mm -hmm. Um, And going to PHP, you get a lot of those freedoms back and you have to learn how to exercise those freedoms. Um, So like things as simple as going to the bathroom by yourself or things as big as eating dinner by yourself um, just become really big victory steps, which is really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said earlier, like, I had an insurance barrier for my, because I was the second time I went to treatment, I was recommended for residential right away, right off the bat, and, you know, that wasn't possible because of my insurance wouldn't cover it, I didn't get a scholarship, so I ended up in PHP right away, like, that was, I entered straight into PHP for the second time, um, and I got lucky because I somehow, you know, just like it was very grueling but I somehow like just decided to stick with it and really commit just fully commit to it and ended up being really successful in PHP because they were like you know if you don't if you aren't successful in PHP we're going to move you up to residential and I was like oh crap like I do not want to go to residential again and so I really just committed every single day and went home and you know did what I needed to do just that's what I feel like the theme was is just just do it like just get through it like it doesn't have to be fun it's not fun but like go home and do the things and then go back to treatment the next day like that was my thing it was like go to treatment go home go to treatment go home for six weeks it is all about routine and practice and try and try again right because it, it it's a process that takes a ton of time you know, it, it's not something that can be fixed overnight, but the time pays off. You know, you get that time back when you're in recovery. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely pays off for sure. Yeah. And I had a, the first time I went to PHP, I didn't have a great experience. Um, but the second time I ended up having a really good experience at the treatment facility I went to. So that was a positive. I came out with a lot of positive relationships and good recovery oriented relationships, I feel like, which has been really helpful to me. Yeah. Yeah. So next thing I want to talk about is relationships and kind of how they're affected by eating disorders. Um, So I'm wondering what it's like for you to have a supportive partner and how do you include your partner into your treatment plan? 
Yeah. So I have a partner of about one and a half years, a little more than that. Um, he's my boyfriend and he and I met at schools. Um, yeah. I told him up front that I had an eating disorder when I first okay. met him um, because I wanted him to not get into anything he wasn't willing to get into. Um, I made sure to tell him, you know, I don't think you'll be a primary support person in terms of helping me in moments of crisis because I do have a support team for that. I have people I'm very close to, especially starting out in our relationship. Um, but I did say that, you know, I want you to know this and be aware of this because it is going to be a part of our relationship if we do decide to pursue a relationship. And we did. And he was very open with it. Um, I think the biggest thing that he did was listen to me um, mm-hmm. when I told him this and he didn't really have to say anything in response or say like, oh, me too, or I get that. It was more of just like, I I went into treatment. It was difficult to make that decision, of course, but I tried to include him as much as I can um or as I could which for me looked like you know telling him things when they happened giving him that respect of being there and saying hey um this is what I'm thinking I want you to know this because you're a big part of my life and I care about you and I know you care about me and just really trying to put yourself in your partner's shoes and think what would like if they were going through this what would I want to know right um And so now that I'm out of treatment, um, what that look is, the way that he's helpful is when he asks about how I'm doing, asks about what I'm working on, asks about, you know, how did your session go without crossing any boundaries that we have established. Mm -hmm. And we've had to do a lot of talking about what those boundaries look like. Um, He's been in with, uh, with me for a like a family therapy session, which was actually really helpful. Yeah. Um, We've just done a lot of talking and conversing about what our relationship, what we want it to look like in terms of how he can help me with treatment. Yeah. 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 And so kind of on the opposite side, I wanted to talk about what it's like to have an unsupportive partner um, because they Mm -hmm. exist. Um, And it's important to kind of point that out that not all partners are supportive unfortunately of eating disorder treatment and supportive of their partner with an eating disorder um so my partner at the time actually left me after i decided to pursue treatment for the first time which was extremely hard and just plain devastating um took me a while to you know get back on my feet after and you know you don't just recover from breakups like that overnight so it's been a work in progress but it did like him breaking up with me did motivate me to go back to treatment for the second time. Cause I was like, well, all right, you broke up with me cause I went to treatment. I'm going to go to treatment again. <laughs> so, yeah. and I was like, well, now I have nothing holding me back. No relationship. You know, my friends were understanding, like it actually benefited me because I think that if we would have stayed together through that, I wouldn't have gone back to treatment. And I think I would have continued to be miserable. Um, I think it's really important, like you said, to like set boundaries. And I think it's really great that he came in with you do a family session. That's awesome. Um, 
I think a red flag for me was when I went to residential, my therapist at residential asked me if my, because I was still dating him at the time, if my boyfriend wanted to come and sit, like phone into a session. And I remember thinking, no, no, like we're not that close. And I was like, wait, but we've been dating for eight months and I have barely told him anything about my eating disorder. So I feel like it's really good that you were upfront with your partner too. I feel like that's really helpful is to be upfront, even though it's hard because um, you don't know what the other person's going to say. Um, but I wish looking back that I was way more upfront at the beginning and said, Hey, I have depression. I have anxiety, I have this eating disorder thing. Like, you know, take me as I am or don't take me at all. But I didn't do that. So it's hard, but it's really important to have a supportive partner throughout your recovery process, I feel like. Yeah, and I really like your point about, like, you know, I didn't do that, but we live and we learn, you know? Yeah. Um, and luckily enough, it's not like you made a mistake with someone who was great for you. Because, right. Because you made a mistake with someone who probably wouldn't have supported you either way, right. you know? Yeah. So... So yeah. we were like, so you're able to learn from that. And, you know, I think that's great. But I think the most important thing that I've learned has been vulnerability yeah. Um, yeah. to like, just like open yourself up in a way that is more than here are the facts of my eating disorder. And yes. to say like, instead, this is how I feel. This is who I am, mm-hmm. you know? I want you to see that. I want you to actually see me and I'm showing this to you. Mm-hmm. And the way they respond to that vulnerability is really important. Um, I think when they say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. Oh, that scares me. Oh, like keep that to yourself. That's a huge red flag. Oh yeah, um, definitely. But I think if they, yeah. Um, but I think if they say, you know, okay, like I, I want to know more. I'm willing to learn like, tell me more, or thank you for telling me. Um, I think that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely, I mean, for those of you who are in eating disorder treatment or thinking about it, like, it's a really great time to put yourself first, and if you've never done that before, like, now is a great time to learn how to do that, because you really do um, have to put yourself first to be successful in treatment, and, you know, ignore the what's going on around you and just be selfish to be quite honest. Like you have to be selfish and tell others like, Hey, I am doing this and I'm doing it for me. And you know, that's it. Like that's all you have to say. Um, but I've really learned through the process that I shouldn't feel guilty for asking for help and for telling my parents and my friends like, Hey, I'm going to seek treatment and you know, that's what I need. Yeah. And I think that point about like, being selfish is really important and looking at the way people respond to you helping yourself is really important so like if like Addie and I basically did the same thing where we told our partner okay I'm going to treatment yeah (laughs) and Addie's partner unfortunately responded in a pretty terrible way um and I was lucky enough to have a partner who responded supportively and I think just doing what you know you are meant to be doing and seeking that help for you first and seeing who will follow you and continue to be by your side is really important. Yeah. And I feel like that was just a clear cut sign again, that it wasn't meant to be because I was like, well, because I kind of like 
argued with myself because I was like, well, maybe I can live with having a partner who's not supportive. Like, I'll just support myself in the relationship. Like, it's okay. And then after we broke up, I was like, what the heck? Like, no, (laughs) like I need a partner who is going to support me through the highs and the lows and the low lows. And it's, that's so important. And I haven't found that person yet, but like, he's out there somewhere. So come out wherever you are. (laughs) (laughs) Just waiting for someone who will walk by your side as you do your life. You know, it's, it's really nice to find someone who is willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything else to say about that, about anything relationship wise? I don't think so. Um, I think, I think just the biggest thing I would ask people to take away would be that vulnerability factor, um, Mm -hmm. opening yourself up, being honest with the people around you about your thoughts and what you're thinking and, and being boldly honest. I think it's really important to say there's a difference between saying I'm going to treatment and I'm really concerned about my health right now. I'm thinking about going to treatment. I want your support just elaborating and being really bold with it uh, with the people you feel safe doing that with can be really impactful. Yeah, absolutely. No, you make some great points. Um, So shifting gears a little bit. So Isabel, you are going to Wake Forest in the fall. I'm so excited for you. Um, I know during treatment, it was, you were starting that process of hearing back from schools and I know it was stressful for you so you're probably feeling super relieved to I am be done with that yeah totally (laughs) um so have you thought about things that you're going to do to prepare to manage your mental health in college at all yeah so I am actually lucky enough to have gone to a residential high school um so I have some experience of what it might be like in college um, to go away from home, um, to be away from my parents and my big support community and finding a therapist outside of my hometown. Right. Um, yeah. Luckily, I, I found a therapist who is like my favorite person ever. She's amazing. Okay, and, she, <laughs> and she uh, is willing to do like telehealth with me, oh, which is where awesome. you do video conferencing therapy, and I'm comfortable with that. So I think I'm gonna stick with her for okay, um, my time in college, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, as for a dietitian, I I'm not sure yet. I might stick with my current one um, over telehealth, and I might find an on-campus dietitian. I just think it's really important for me to find someone who is educated in eating disorders and specifically binge eating disorder, yeah. um, which is what I'm struggling with right now. Yeah. Um, just to find someone who is aware of those things and is trained in those things is really important. Yeah. Um, some other stuff that I'm doing to put my mental health first on campus would be um, joining some clubs that I know are mental health focused. Um, yeah, totally. So, yeah, so at my high school, I ran a club called Body Banter, just a oh. little shameless self-plug. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, I love it. Body Banter is a club that um, encourages young people to speak their voice and reclaim the conversation around body image. Um, okay. And I, so I run a high school chapter of Body Banter with my peer, Zoe, and okay. um but moving on to college, I'm really interested in founding 
a chapter at Wake Forest, which could be really awesome. Um, I'm also thinking about joining a collegiate recovery community, which, or CRC, which is actually mainly for people who are in addiction from substance, um, who are in recovery from addictions to substances. Um, but I found that though I am not in recovery from addiction, having a community with people who are in recovery from something, sharing those same values with you, and a person in eating disorder recovery and choosing to engage in a sober lifestyle could be really important to me. Um, yeah. So just finding spaces on campus that are conducive to good mental health have, I think will be really important for me. Yeah, and I like what you said about the whole values thing, because I think college is a perfect time to find and join organizations that value the same things as you do. Um, I know when I went to school, I I really valued health, um, and I joined a a women um, fitness and health organization on campus on my chapter, and I value outdoors, the outdoors, so I joined outdoors club. and yeah, so I just, I, I did those two things, but in terms of therapy, I went pretty far from home. I left the state, so I had to find my, a new therapist. Uh, at the time, I was not seeing a dietitian, so I differ in a little bit from you in that, but mm-hmm. I found a therapist. I ended up switching two or three times before I found the right one, and I had to switch again because my therapist, once I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, I figured out that my therapist, who I loved, didn't specialize in eating disorders, uh, which was really hard. So I just switched again. And right around the time that I left treatment for the first time, um, I found an outpatient dietitian who actually is trained in eating disorder nutrition. And I feel so lucky to have found her because she is the most amazing person I know. Like she has been so influential and critical in my recovery. And it's so refreshing to have a diet to see a dietitian that values your mental well-being over your weight and numbers and calories. It's, you know, really important. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about were coping mechanisms for eating disorders. Um, So we both were in a treatment center that focused on the DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. So I was wondering what skills, DBT or not, skills that kind of help you when you are struggling with either behavior urges or just urges in general or whatnot. Yeah, so I think I think this is actually really interesting because we both have different takes on this. Um, yeah. uh, just because we struggle with different types of eating disorders, mm-hmm. and so for me, um, having binge eating disorder, the two biggest skills I've learned um, have been stop. Um, which stands for stop, take a step back, (laughs) observe, and proceed mindfully. Um, So what that looks like for me is when I do have those binge urges or those emotional eating urges, I, instead of saying, okay, well, I have the urge, I have to act on it, I Mm -hmm. stop, um, I take a step back from the situation, and I try to take a look at my whole day and say, what's going on? Um, Why am I feeling like this? And just really try to be observant, be curious about how I'm feeling, um, and say like, okay, how do I proceed mindfully? Um, how do I take this situation, which could be a really great learning opportunity, and proceed in a way that I will feel good coming out of? 
Um, and then the second skill I really like is actually not in the DBT manual, but I learned it in a DBT group. Um, it's vitals. Um, oh, the V stands for validate. Yeah. So it's validate, imagine, take small steps, applaud yourself, lighten the load, sweeten the pot, which is a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but what that means, it's used in situations where you are trying to do something that you don't want to do, but you know you should, mm -hmm. um, or you know you need to, or you know it would be helpful. Um, so, so the steps, um, which, I, which I just said, and I won't repeat again because it's a mouthful, um, are used to really take that urge and say, okay, or that non-urge and the urge to do something else and say, okay, I'm validating that this is real and this is hard. Um, and I'm going to imagine myself doing it and see what that feels like. Just explore it. I'm going to break the steps down so that doing that thing that is so hard is a little easier. Um, sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm going to be proud of myself when I do the thing that is so hard um, and be graceful with myself if I can. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I definitely took away some DBT skills from therapy, um, from being in DB, or not DBT, in PHP. <laughs> There's too many acronyms. Um, I really like opposite action, which is where you, it basically explains itself, but you do the opposite of what your mind, your depression or your eating disorder is telling you to do. So if my eating disorder is telling me, telling me not to eat dinner, the opposite action would be to eat dinner. Or my depression is telling me to isolate, the opposite action would be to go be around people. Um, so I've been trying to practice that a lot recently because I do struggle a lot with isolation urges. Um, so I really value that skill and I really value distraction too because distraction goes a long way. Um, especially when I'm having urges, I notice that distraction, either knitting or do, like doing something, fidgeting with my hands or calling a friend really helps take my mind off of it and kind of clicks the reset button in my brain almost. And then, you know, I notice afterwards, like, oh, I'm like mindfully notice that I'm feeling better, um, which is really helpful. And then the last skill that I find helpful is check the facts, which is just basically writing down all the facts about what you're feeling. So if I'm having an urge to restrict, let's say, or an urge to binge, because I struggle with both of those, um, I'm going to check the facts and I'm going to say, for example, one fact I always use is you're going to feel worse after you do this. And yeah. that's a fact to me because I know that that's a true statement for myself. And so I write them down and then usually I feel better and my anxiety levels decrease after that. Um, it's also a really good skill for anxiety because when you are catastrophizing a situation or overgeneralizing a situation, it's really good to write down the facts of the situation and kind of check yourself pretty much. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, I don't think so. Um, I want to say thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, this no. is awesome. I love that you're doing this because I, sorry, my dogs, no, um, oh my gosh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but I, I feel like awesome that you provide a space for people to come and listen and talk about what's going on, you know, because yeah. it's the conversation is the first step in 
making a difference, you know, just talking about the things that matter is really commend you for taking your part in that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and being so vulnerable and opening up and sharing. Um, I know that it's going to help a lot of people and so grateful that we met in treatment and can kind of empathize with each other and, you know, have a recovery oriented friendship where we can support and lift up each other. So thank you for that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and I will talk to you guys later.